You can keep Jude open once again. This evening we come to these last two verses, verses 24 and 25. And we're thinking together this evening about four reasons to praise God forever. Four reasons to praise God forever. What should the church be focusing on most today? What should Christians be thinking about most? Different churches tend to focus on different priorities or concerns. Some churches are extremely good at attracting people. Some churches are very focused on tradition, maintaining a beautiful building perhaps, or keeping the liturgy the same as it's been for hundreds of years. Some churches, or perhaps some individual Christians, are extremely concerned with pointing out false teachers and false teaching. And you can find preachers online who have done long, long series of sermons on the cults and various false teachers. And even when they're not preaching specifically on those subjects, their sermons are full of warnings about those issues. Well, as we've seen over the last few weeks, the letter of Jude certainly includes a lot of warnings about false teachers and the lifestyles that they lead. Jude has explained the dangers of imposters. He's described the terrible judgment that that they will face. He's urged his readers to be on guard against that and to avoid it at all costs. But as Jude closes the letter, friends, he shifts his focus. He doesn't want his readers' minds and hearts to be totally taken up and maybe even overly concerned with false teachers and false teaching. Instead, as Jude closes his letter, he focuses his readers on the greatness of our God. And that is always where the focus of Christians and the church primarily should be the greatness of our God. Our focus just shouldn't just be on ourselves and our problems and how difficult everything might seem to be. Our focus should be on the God that we worship, who he is and what he has done for us and the reasons we have to praise him. And if that is our primary focus, everything else will be kept in the right perspective. And so Jude ends his letter with what's called a a doxology. Some of your Bibles maybe have that heading above these last two verses, a doxology. It just means praise to God, a statement of praise, giving God the glory, recognizing the God that he is. It's a little bit different from a benediction. Um, Some preachers, even at times in the past, I myself have uh, use these closing words of Jude at the end of, of, a, of a service and there's nothing wrong with that. But it is a little bit different from the benediction that we usually give. Uh, a benediction, if you like, is God announcing something to his people. You know, the, the blessing that he gives to us, the grace of God uh, upon us. A doxology is an announcement that we make about God and his greatness and his glory. And it is the perfect way for Jude to finish his letter. He gives us here in this doxology at least four reasons that we have to praise God now and forever. Four reasons to praise God now and forever. And so the first reason is because God will keep us from stumbling. God will keep us from stumbling. Verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Just notice that shift of focus. We've dealt with these false teachers. We've talked about them quite a bit. Uh, We could uh, could have gone into even more detail about them and preached more sermons on the subject than we have done. 
But nonetheless, uh, Jude has spent a good chunk of his letter explaining who they are and what they're doing. But he doesn't want to end on that note. He shifts the focus. We've dealt with them now to him, to our God. And he says that our God is, uh, he's, he's directing this here, directing our focus, directing our eyes, if you like, to the greatness of our God. Remember poor Peter, poor old brash, bold Peter, the night that Jesus came walking towards him on the, on the surface of the water uh, during the storm. And Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to get out of the boat and walk towards you. And Jesus gives him the command and at first, Peter is walking across the water just as easily as our Lord was. But then he looks away, looks at the roaring waves, and he begins to sink. And likewise, friends, whatever threats or problems we face in the church or in our own lives today, if our focus is entirely upon them, we begin to sink. And so we must lift our, our eyes off those things and onto our God. The first thing Jude says about this God is now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. The particular word there for stumbling, this is actually the only time uh, that we find it in the whole of the New Testament. Uh, Similar phrases, a similar picture is given elsewhere, of course, in the Bible. But this word, it's used outside the Bible in ancient Greek literature. And it seems to refer to to working with horses, uh, to keeping horses uh, from stumbling. To, uh, so they, they have someone maybe uh, guiding them along. They're on, keeping them on the path. Keeping them from danger. And uh, because of the, the guidance that the horse gets. They begin to know the terrain. And they're, they're kept by their rider. By their master from slipping maybe off a cliffside. Or, or into a bog or something like that. And so the picture here friends. Is, is of God steering us. Guiding us. Keeping us. On the path that we need to be on. And this is not to say of course. That a Christian will never sin. Or never struggle. Or never suffer. The Christian experiences. Every Christian experiences all of those things of course. None of us are perfect yet. We do stumble. In the sense of losing our footing temporarily. We ourselves stumble into sin. So to speak. We temporarily wander off the path at times. But what Judah is saying here, friends, is that God will keep us from a fatal stumble. God will never allow us to go off the spiritual cliff edge, so to speak. He will never allow us to abandon our faith altogether. Instead, he will keep us. He will keep us. It's what we were singing about earlier in Psalm 121. He will not let your foot be moved. He who watches over, he who keeps you will not slumber. The Lord is your keeper, the psalmist says. We thought this morning about the priorities we should have to keep ourselves in God's love. That's what Jude says just a few verses before. That we're to keep ourselves in God's love. But again here we have the reminder friends that God is sovereign in our salvation. He'll give us the Appetite to build ourselves up in our most holy faith and to pray in the spirit and to, uh, and, to, and to wait for the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those things that we thought about this morning. God empowers all of those things. He will keep us even as we seek to keep ourselves. And so here's the first reason we have to praise our God friends. Now 
and always. He is able to keep us from stumbling. He'll keep you this week, no matter what policies or procedures your workplace creates that might make your Christian witness or lifestyle more difficult. He'll keep you even in the face of, of unemployment because of your Christian principles. When you experience doubts, when you lack assurance about your Christian faith, he will keep you. When the church feels small and struggling, he'll keep us. When we face the loneliness of old age and we begin to long all the more for heaven and, and yet we have to wait and we have to live with the weaknesses and the infirmities, He'll keep us. When you're tempted into anger or gossip or just total frustration or discouragement, he'll keep you. When we have to come and ask for forgiveness of sin, thinking to ourselves, here I am again, having to repent, having to seek God's forgiveness, he'll keep you. And for this reason, friends, should we not praise God Isn't he so gracious? Isn't he so patient? Isn't this such good news that our eternal destiny is secure, not because of us, otherwise we'd be doomed, but because of him. Jude's words here chime with what Paul said at the end of Romans 8, 38. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He will keep us. Let's praise him for that. The The second reason that Jude gives us to praise God now and forever is that God will present us in his glory. God will present us in his glory. Verse 24. And the word present there really means to fix someone or something in place, to deliberately set them in post. And so notice what Jude's saying here, friends. Not only will God keep us from stumbling on the way to heaven, but he will present us before his own glory when we get to heaven. He will fix us in place. He will give us our our spot to stand upon, if you like. He will fix us right where we need to be. If you've ever had the opportunity to to meet someone famous, maybe you've received your, your Duke of Edinburgh silver or gold award, and you actually got to meet uh, the late Duke of Edinburgh. Um, I think if memory serves, I met him just not far from here at Hillsborough Castle. Um, well, you didn't just wander around, did you, on that big occasion when you get presented with something? You don't just wander uh, into every room and every, down every corridor that you see. You're, you're ushered in, you're, you're fixed in position, so to speak. You're told, you stand here, you stand here. The Duke will come in over there. You'll shake hands or you'll speak to him or, or whatever it is. And there's something of that here that God will stand us right where we need to be. He will fix us in place when we finally enter into the presence of his glory. And notice as well, he says that when he presents us, we will be blameless. Some of your translations will have perfect or spotless. Jude here is using language that have been very familiar to converts from the Jewish religion. We've thought about it even briefly this morning. That every sacrifice that the people brought to God had to be spotless. Every animal, it couldn't just be any old animal. It wasn't just an animal that the the people would gladly get rid of by sacrifice because it was a bit lame or it was a bit scrawny. They had to bring the best 
of what they had to God in sacrifice. And of course the priests had to be cleansed and everything, even the utensils they used, had to be without blemish. Anything that was brought into God's presence, used in God's worship, had to be perfect. And the New Testament of course teaches us that Jesus Christ is the fulfilment of all of that. The Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world, spotless, blameless. But one of the most remarkable and wonderful things about the personal work of Jesus Christ, friends, is that he, with his blamelessness, his perfection, is able to cover over all of our imperfection. His righteousness becomes our righteousness if we're trusting in him by faith for the forgiveness of our sin. Because of what he has done, we can be presented before God's glorious presence, blameless and perfect. We'll think more about how that is in just a moment. But uh, Paul says in Ephesians 1 verse 4, He, that's God the Father, chose us in him, that's Christ, before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Or Ephesians 5.27, Paul compares it to a bride being presented to her husband. He says that, that she, that's the church, might be holy and without blemish. Same picture that Jude uses here. And Christian friends, that is what we will one day be by God's grace and for his glory. We will be getting the praise on the day when we stand before his glorious presence without blemish. We will be uh, we may be quickly turning to one another and thinking, isn't this amazing? But all the glory for it will go to God. This is the astounding truth about our God that he has chosen to take delight in, in, in taking what is, what is ruined, what is tarnished, what is uh, dirty, that is us in our sin. And he makes us fit for heaven. He makes us fit to stand in his glorious presence and to bring him praise forever and to enjoy his his presence forever and to be with him forever. That's the amazing truth about the work of our God. And if you long to be free of sin, and if we tire of realizing that we've sinned again and again, and if we long to be out of a world that is ruined by sin, this is good news. This is something to praise God for, that he will present us before his glorious presence. Blameless, spotless, perfect. Do you not long for that, Christian? For the day that we are perfect, free of our sins. Never having to apologise again to a spouse, a parent, a child. For an angry word or for impatience. Never realising too late, I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have done that. Never feeling discouraged again. Never feeling weighed down by the world and its sin. One day that will be our experience. Because God will present us to himself perfect. This is what we are headed for. I notice as well he says that we will, he will present us uh, full of great joy. Verse 24 again. He says, he will keep you from stumbling, present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Hannah and I have made it to two weddings this summer. 
joyful occasions as weddings should be and usually are. Uh, something to celebrate, everyone in good, good form, good food, uh, singing and dancing. Uh, one of the weddings that we went to, the groom, a very, very happy groom during his speech, he rightly said, uh, he said, we can't wait for the wedding we're, we're going to go to in the future, which will put everything that we're doing here today in the shade. That's what he said. And that was absolutely right. The most beautiful and joyful day on earth. It's been nothing to compare to the great joy we will experience in glory. And so here's our second reason, friends, to praise God. He will present us before himself, spotless, blameless, with great joy. Again, you might be thinking, well, how is that possible? For imperfect, sinful people by nature to stand perfected in God's presence. That brings us to the third reason we have to praise God. Which is that God has sent us our saviour. God has sent us our saviour. Look at verse 25. To the only God our saviour through Jesus Christ our Lord. That phrase to the only God. That's a statement of faith going back centuries, millennia. In the Jewish tradition, right back to the days of Abraham and Moses. From their earliest days, the people of Israel were taught, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Deuteronomy 6 4. Devout Jewish people would repeat those words day after day after day. And the Jews were the, the Israelites were the only nation on earth who believed that. When they were in slavery in Egypt, they were exposed to. Uh, to uh, a plurality of gods, to polytheism. That's just the worship of many gods and goddesses. And it was the same in the promised land that they went in to conquer. The people of the land had all kinds of gods. And this is what made Israel unique as a people, that they believed that their God was the only God. That he was holy and different and all-powerful and above all others. What also made their God different from the idols of the nations was that he was a God who saved his people, who intervened in history to deliver his people. That's why it says their God, our saviour. It's evoking memories of the Exodus and the mighty victories that God gave through King David and so on. And even when his people sinned time and time again, God would save them. And that's what Jude is speaking of here. He says that's what God has done for us. That's why we will stand perfect in God's presence because God has saved us. And particularly he says, specifically he says, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And what he's saying there, by the way, as well, is that Jesus is God. Our God is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All of them co-equal, co-eternal, all-powerful. Jesus Christ is God. And yet Jesus Christ became a man and took on human flesh and will continue in those two natures, his divine nature and his human nature, now forever. And he did that to live a spotless, blameless life as we just considered. And he did that, friends, to account for, to make up for the spotless, blameless life that you and I should have led and could not lead. Listen to how Paul describes it in Colossians 2.13. You who were once dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, 
God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, listen, by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So Paul says the debts were piling up in our column, all of our sin, one after another, adding to our guilt. And it's like Jesus Christ took the bill, so to speak, took that record of debts and nailed it to the cross when he himself died on the cross. So there is nothing more to be done, no sacrifice to be made, no more blood to be shed. And if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the work he has done, the sacrifice he has made, then we are saved and we are spotless and we are blameless and we are headed for eternal life all because of him. See, friends, ultimately, heaven is about being with God. Yes, it is a place. There is a spiritual realm of heaven. There will be a physical realm, the new heavens and the new earth when Christ returns. But it's about being with God, being able to be in his presence and enjoy him free of any distance or separation. That's what Adam and Eve had in the beginning. That's what we will have again through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All of our worship is to be offered in the name of Jesus. We can only come to God and we will only stand in God's presence someday through Jesus. That's why Jude says it here in this way. Maybe you're hearing this message tonight and either here or online. and You're growing more and more concerned by the thought that your life really has no purpose, no direction. You've tried to fill it with all kinds of distractions and pursuits. Nothing is giving you peace. Nothing is giving you fulfillment. And you're aware that you're not a perfect person. Maybe you wouldn't call it sin. But that's what it is. And your sin will damn you in God's sight. Your sin will evoke God's judgment. Unless you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. In which case you will be saved. He is God who became a man. Who offers to us everlasting life. And so we should do now. What we will do for eternity. Praise God for the one that he has sent to us. Our prayers each day, our praise each day should begin and end and be all about Jesus Christ. He is our Passover lamb. He is our bread of life. He is our good shepherd. He is our king. He is our savior. He is the prince of peace. He is our righteousness. Praise God now and always for Jesus Christ. So the four reasons to praise God. We praise him because he is the one who can keep us from stumbling. Because he will present us in heaven. Because he has sent us our saviour. And fourthly and finally we praise God now and always. Because God is eternally glorious. He is eternally glorious. Can't really sum up in just a a short phrase. um, All that this last point covers. But if you look again at verse 25. This whole passage that we're looking at this evening is one of those sections of scripture that as a preacher you're almost reluctant to, uh, to go too close to. It's a bit like when you see a beautiful piece of jewellery, glistening diamond and you know if I touch that it's going to smudge it. <laughs> it's going to take away from it. Just look at these beautiful words at the end of Jude. 
to the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority. And Judas simply recognising here things that are true of God. He's giving to God the only thing that we can give to him. Our free praise of who he is and what he has done. First word, glory. Uh, This is speaking of a visible expression of, of who God is, so to speak. God is spirit. He doesn't have... Uh, He doesn't have a physical form other than in the person of Jesus Christ who now has taken on human flesh. Indeed, Jesus reveals to us the glory of God because he is God. Remember what John says, John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father. And so Jesus Christ, friends, is the most uh, clear, visible uh, Obvious expression or, or, or manifestation, if you like, of the glory of God. And in heaven we will see Christ in all his glory. He, he, he won't be marred and uh, his glory hidden the way it was when he was on the earth for most of the time. Other than during his transfiguration perhaps. We will see his glory in its fullness. The shining light of the glorious presence of God. He is more glorious than anyone or anything we can possibly imagine. Jude also ascribes majesty to God, verse 25. It's a word speaking to the fact that God in Christ rules as king. He is our sovereign. He's not just the head of this state. He is the head of all the nations of the world and the king and head of the church as well. Dominion is the third word that Jude uses, verse 25. Some of your translations will have the word power. Word speaking of the strength that God has, strength to do things that no one else can do, that no one else is capable of. Jude's last word is the word authority. It's not just that God is able to do powerful and mighty deeds, He has the authority to do them. As the scripture says elsewhere, no one can stay the hand of God or ask Him, What have you done? No one can question, does God have the authority to do these things? A police officer's badge gives him the right to speed down the motorway and catch the criminal. A judge's qualifications give him or her the right to pass a verdict on another man's life. God has all authority. There is no realm, there is no sphere over which God is not in control. And again, what is true of God is true of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19 to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus holds the authority of God. That's why we declare him not just the king of the church, but of our nation and of all the nations. It's why all people need to know about the saving work that he has done. He holds authority over all of our lives. That's a terrifying thought. Unless you belong to Jesus Christ. Unless you have taken him that is as your saviour. And notice lastly Jude says our God has always been all of these things. God has always been glorious and majestic and powerful and authoritative. 
He is now. He always has been. He always will be. Jude says, before all time and now and forever. Past, present and future. It's a sad truth about life in this world that even the most impressive people, the most impressive accomplishments, they fade in time. Many people were mourning the passing last week of Olivia St. John, uh, an, an actress well-loved, particularly for her role in, in the movie Grease. And you see footage of her from all those years ago, young and energetic and performing so beautifully. And then the news breaks that decades later, she has passed away from a horrible illness. And we could say the same for so many well-known and well-loved figures in the world. You watch back footage of tremendous athletes, champions, uh, sportsmen and women from long ago. You see what they accomplished in their day, in their prime. And decades later, their mind or their body is frail and decaying and fading away. We can visit the great sites of this world. Colosseum in Rome, pyramids of Egypt. And yet as magnificent as they still are, they've, they've lost some of their glory from their heyday. They're a reminder to us that glory fades. God's glory does not, cannot, will not fade. He has been glorious since before time began. He's lost none of that glory since. He will remain glorious forever. And so if we're going to praise a man or a woman for a great performance on the silver screen. Or for a great performance out on a football or rugby pitch. How much more, how much infinitely more should we praise our God? The last word of Jude's letter is the word Amen. What does that word mean? We, we hear it every week in church and perhaps every day in our homes as well. Why should God's people always say Amen? And you should always say Amen out loud together. But why? Because it means I agree. I agree with everything that's just been said about my great and gracious and glorious God. The last word of Jude's letter, in a sense, is for his readers. He said all of this, and this is for his readers to say back in response. Amen. We agree. Yes, we believe these things. Can you say amen as you think about our glorious God, our glorious Saviour? Do you praise him? Do you want to praise him? How does heaven sound to you? Christian, honestly, ask yourself, are you looking forward to heaven? Are you giving yourself time in your day, your week, to read the word of this glorious God, to praise his name? Uh, or, or are you filling your days with fading glory? Are you focused only on the struggles or the frustrations or the difficulties or are you focused on the greatness of our God? Can you say amen as you think about all that our God and Saviour has done for us and all that he will do is that he will stand us, present us before his own presence and glory through Jesus Christ. Here are sufficient reasons to praise God now and forever. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory 
majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.